0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So um, we are in our second week of this five-week series on unoffendable, and you might wonder how in the world can you preach for five weeks on this subject, but I think you'll see each one has a different aspect of this whole understanding because as Brad Hansen kind of said in his book, all things of all things, Christians should be known as the most unoffendable people in uh, the world, in any culture. And why he says that is because we should be more about grace and forgiveness, not shying away from the truth about situations, but just that we are known as those people who can understand and identify with anybody in this world, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus. Okay. So it's a tough series in some ways. Uh, We're going to explore today the relationship between grace, forgiveness, and being unoffendable. How forgiveness that we have received from God makes us so that we can forgive others and how that works. And um, we're going to be looking at one of the most, um, well, we're going to look at one of the most, I would say, subversive parables that Jesus ever spoke. Did you? Re- I don't know if you realize this, every one of Jesus' parables is actually subversive. He's telling a different story. There's always a twist, a surprise. We might not see it because 2,000 years later, we don't realize necessarily some of that. But in this story, there's like a shock after shock throughout this parable. And that's the one we're going to look in in Matthew chapter 18. If you want to follow along any Sunday here, you can go to the U version of the Bible. It's an, a free app you can get through the App Store. You un, um, and when you have that, you go down to the More section on the bottom of the app when you open it up and type events or hit events and immediately will pop up Thrive Community Church. It'll locate it, and then you get all the notes for this sermon, including the text. You got that already, Cody? Is that what you you got it? Cool. It's right there, huh? Isn't that cool? Yeah. So you don't have to listen anymore. You just can read. <laughs> <laughs> now, so we're going to read this. Now, this, this um, parable comes up in the context of Peter asking. He, Peter thinks he's being, like, over the top. Amazingly gracious to others. He asked the question, How many times does he need to forgive somebody if they've offended him? Okay? And in that day and age, three was the magic number. You do it three times, fourth time, you're out. You know, three strikes, you're out. Kind of that rule. And so he doubles that. He makes it, six, and then he adds one. Let's make it seven. Boy, am I gracious. He's still keeping score, it's just he's just multiplied the score a little, okay? So let's read this in Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt, that debt, because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy in your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So today, we're going to look at what this thing is called being unoffendable, um, being forgiving, under three headings, why it's crucial, Second, and uh, B, what is it, and see how you actually do it. Okay? Why it's crucial. It kind of goes, and this is what one of the shockers about this parable. Like I said, they are subversive. The shocker is Jesus seems to tie the way I forgive you with how I am forgiven. Do you understand? But it sounds like at first glance, if I don't forgive you, if I forgive, then I get to go to heaven. If I don't forgive, I'm going to the other place. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, I don't think so. Um, I hope not, because then what is there a need for grace? You know, all of a sudden, it's my work of forgiveness earns me the place in heaven. Do you get it? If that's the case, who? Do I even need Jesus? Just be good at forgiving, and as long as I keep forgiving pretty well, I'll get there. No, I don't think he's saying that. We'll we'll see the relationship in just a moment. There's another parable in Matthew 25. It's where it's the parable of the sheep and the goats and the king before him. And it almost at first appears when Jesus says this um, if you visit me in prison and if you feed me, you know, if you feed the poor and visit those in prison and all of that stuff, then you're going to be blessed and you get into eternity. If you don't do those things, you go in the other place. But again, What Jesus says in that parable, just like in this one, there is a relationship, but the relationship he got backwards. You do those things because you've already received the kingdom. You do those things because you've already been forgiven. Okay? Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive others, it shows that you really haven't understood my forgiveness. Hey, it's apple season up north, right? Any of you? I mean, I've been, there's been some great apples at Costco lately. I shop there all the time. But you know, it's this time of the year, the apple season. And now, if you'd be up north right now, um, you can look at the tree and you can kind of tell the health of the tree. So the tree on the right, on my right, your left, um, you know that tree is alive because it's got apples on it. It's green. It looks great. Right? The tree on the left, no apples. This time of the year, possibly diseased, dying, or dead. And that's the way it is with trees. Now, notice this. The apple does not give life to the tree. The apple shows the life of the tree. Got that? Yeah. There's no better way to tell in the life of a follower of Jesus that they have received forgiveness than that they are forgiving and unoffendable. Your forgiveness does not give you life. Your forgiveness shows the life you have received from the grace of God. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. You know, when I get angry with someone, I can feel so righteous about it. Do you notice that? I never think I have unrighteous anger. I only think I have righteous anger. (laughs) And so I I feel so wronged by someone else. I am pitying myself for what I've been going through. I get so self-centered about it and wrapped up in it. And all the while, I'm not reflecting the character of Jesus at all. I'm reflecting somebody else's character. Can you think of who, maybe? Think of it this way. You may have heard somebody say, you know, my father was just mean and cruel when I was a child. I have never forgiven him. 30 years later, they've been out of the house for 30 years. And yet, they're still angry with their father. And guess what? They think they were freed, and they put their father in prison. But the opposite has actually happened. Their anger and bitterness has caused them to be stuck, right? We don't often admit it, Brant Hansen says, but we like being angry. We don't like what caused the anger. To be sure, we just like thinking we've got something on someone. So-and-so did something wrong, sometimes horribly wrong, and anger offers us a sense of moral superiority. Isn't that amazing how that happens? Yeah, but we don't realize what happens with that. When we've got something on someone else, And we keep holding on to that. We think we're free, and they're stuck. But the opposite is actually true. So Friedrich Buchner said it well. He said this, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue, the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come to savor to the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. You know, there's no better sign of a condition of your heart than whether you are a forgiving person. Now, Mark Twain even saw this. He said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than onto anything which it is poured. So to sum up why it is so crucial to be forgiving, okay? Forgiveness is crucial for two reasons. Whether I forgive shows whether I have understood and received the forgiveness God has granted me. And whether I forgive determines whether I am controlled by my anger and resentments and bitterness or I'm free. Now, a lot of you might now, right now, go like, well, that's great. This is good stuff. But I don't know anybody right now I'm dealing with that I'm in the middle of all this stuff. You know? So, well, that's fantastic. I'm glad. Just treat this as preventative because. It will just be a few moments, or years, or whatever. You will have many people who offend you, or do things against you, or harm you, or dismiss you, or objectify you, or treat you poorly. In our society, it won't take long. And then you can use this in advance. No matter who you are, you're going to have someone. That's why it's so crucial. You know, It's crucial in your marriage. It's crucial in your friendships. It's crucial in Uh, Your relationships to your family members, it's crucial to your neighbors, it's crucial everywhere. If there is no forgiveness, there is no relationship for long on this planet. Now, what is this? What does it mean to be unoffendable? What does it mean to be forgiving? You know, Jesus neatly, I think, sums this up in the story form here with this king and what he does in verse 27, in the NIV, I like that better. Usually, we just use the English Standard version. But in the NIV, he sums it up neatly. It says this, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Notice those three things. He took pity on him, number one. Number two, canceled the debt. And three, let him go. Okay. If you want to know what this looks like and what is forgiveness, It's those three wonderful, neat steps. First, took pity on him. If you want to avoid what Buchner called kind of the feast of fools, eating at yourself, or what Mark Twain called the acid that can corrode your own self than anyone else, you're going to need to take this first step, and that is to take pity on the person. Now, that word is fascinating in the Greek. It's splanchnizomai, and I've used this word before. nidzomai is the verb form. It occurs a number of times in the New Testament, and I studied it a little this week again. And in it, it's fascinating how, at one time, this word didn't have any particular meaning at all. It was really about the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament I know it's really bloody and gory, but you know they would take an animal and cut it open and take the entrails and everything out and they would ha- put aside the kidney, the liver and the heart as organs to be have a special use in the sacrifice and that 's what this word refers to those inner or it's your guts that were sacrificed well the animal and You've had a gut reaction before, haven't you? Where it's like, oh, you just kind of hurt in the gut. It's not like, and that's what is going on. When you identify with somebody, when you see it a little from their perspective, when your heart goes out to someone, when it just hurts to see what they're going through, you have, in a sense, pity on them. You may feel what they feel. You may identify with the perpetrator in this text The king looks at this servant who has lost an exorbitant amount of money, and we'll get to that. And instead of being angry and righteously so at this man, he identifies with him, which is shocking. His heart goes out to him. Now, it's not what your heart wants to do. No. You don't want to say, hey, I can see a lot. I I can understand how in the world you were in that position, Yeah, you and I have a lot in common. No, you want to do the opposite. You want to say, I cannot believe what you've done. How could you ever? I would never. And we set ourselves apart from that. On a national level, we had a time of prayer beforehand. And I think, Dick, you prayed well on that. uh, Because on a national level right now, we are putting people in camps. Right? I cannot believe so-and-so. I can't believe so-liberal looks at conservative, conservative at liberal. And we have nothing to do with each other. You are in that. And we vilify the other side of that issue. It could be yank northerners against southerners. Haven't you heard that before, right? It can be those with a college education against those who don't have one. It can be those who are employed versus those who aren't. It's always those people over there. Isn't that amazing how that happens? And when someone hurts us, we tend to do that. We put them over here and I'm over here. Ah, I can't believe them. We're separating ourselves, excluding them. Happens all the time. The king could have done this, but the king doesn't. That's what's amazing in this parable. That's another shock in this parable nobody would expect the king to do this. So I was at FGCU this week talking with an instructor who goes out to all different schools in the South Florida to visit with teachers, to instruct them in different ways. And it is not Vicky here, OK? <laughs> Although she does that a lot, too. And, um, and we were, while we were talking, she said, you know, I'm teaching, uh, teaching uh, these uh, teachers how to handle their children in the classroom. And and a number of teachers were struggling with how some of the kids, high schoolers, middle schoolers, are now so different from them in terms of their morality on terms like sexuality, ethics in general, lifestyle choices, et cetera, that these teachers can't accept it. They're struggling with accepting these children who are thinking this way and doing these things. And I was talking to this instructor and said, Well, here's the deal. Um, accepting a child does not mean approving of what they're doing. Do you understand the difference between accepting and approving? You know, you can accept people for being people pretty easily. And I said to her, and I said, All you have to do is that us, them, me, and them, those two circles, just draw a bigger circle. And in the scriptures, Christians, who we do stand for moral principles, we do have ways of thinking in this world that are absolutely, you know, the Ten Commandments are still true. None of them have changed. They're not obsolete, okay? But there are two circles I can put everybody in. The first circle is we're all sinners. I'm a sinner as well as the person who's offended me or whose ever lifestyle I don't agree with. We're all in that circle. But the better circle that I can put on them all in is this. I am saved by grace, I am redeemed by grace. Everyone is wanted in God's grace. Everyone was created in the image of god in one form or another and whether they recognize it or not i know that's true and they are valued in god's eyes and by his grace they're in the circle of who needs forgiveness and who needs grace just draw a bigger circle so miroslav wolf is a uh, theologian he wrote a book called exclusion and embrace and in it uh, he's from Croatia, and as a child, he got to see just this uh, the mentality to the point where it was civil war, and people were being killed and excluded and treated and vilified and demonized because they were Serb or Croat or Muslim or Christian or this ethnicity or that or what from this town or that town. And this is what he says in his book, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. We haven't drawn the bigger circle. We just do us, them. So somebody might offend you. Somebody might say something. Somebody might have a lifestyle. Somebody might have all sorts of stuff that is so antithetical to you and what you believe is true and right and proper. Just draw a bigger circle. You're not saying you agree with them. You're not saying you approve. You're just saying you are wanted by God just like I was wanted by God. I'm not saved by my goodness. You're not saved by your goodness. We are saved by God's grace. So the king, the first thing he does is have pity or compassion. The splanchnay, his guts go out for this guy. Isn't that amazing? Then secondly, he cancels the debt. Now, the Bible says something different than what we might expect about what this means. OK, I think a lot of people think forgiveness is just saying, oh, no problem. <laughs> no, there was a problem. Huge problem, OK? It's not a blowing it off. It's not of excusing. It's not of, eh, whatever. That is not the at Que sera, sera, is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a canceling of a real debt. In this story, there was a canceling of a real debt. The servant owed the master 10 thousand talents. Hmm. Now we're talking a lot of money here. So a talent, now there is some debate about exactly which talent. Is it a talent of silver or a talent of gold? Because it's a weight. But um, if we go with gold, which I have a feeling Jesus was pushing it to the limit here. If you go with gold, a talent was worth, um, well, first of all, a day's wage is a denarii. Okay? And let's say that's about 100 bucks these days. When I was a kid, man, a day's wage was like what, 20, 25 bucks? Yeah, so a house was also like $10,000. I think my parents paid $11,000 for their first house. Can you imagine that? Yeah, whew, but anyways, that does date me, doesn't it? So, anyways, uh, but 100 bucks, okay? So. for a day's wage, that's a denarii. Every talent is 10,000 denarii. So just think that. So 100 times 10,000, are you good at math? A million dollars. Now, the man owed, the servant owed 10,000 talents. 100 times 10,000 times 10,000, or, A trillion dollars. Even for America, that's real money. How in the world does anybody get into that much debt? I don't care how many credit cards you have. What? Who extends that much? Who extends it? How did it happen? So Jesus doesn't explain this, but this is the shock in the per- How could anybody owe somebody that much money? It's impossible to pay that. Exactly. How do you pay a debt like that back? Now, think about it this way. I've been at somebody's house. I've gone over to eat, and um, oops, I hit something, and the lamp falls over, and it busts, right? Have you ever done that? How many people have busted or broken somebody at somebody's house as a guest? A few. What, you are just all wonderfully balanced? (laughs) Coordinated. Coordinated? So anyways, so what happens is you go, oh my goodness, I am so sorry, right? Let me pay for that. And usually the host says, don't worry about it. I've got it. Now, it's not magic, you know. You know what happens then. That chair that you busted because you sat in the wrong way. Anybody bust a chair? No? that lamp you tipped over, the vase that fell, the dish that broke, whatever, they're either going to have to live without it, which is still a payment in a sense, or they're going to replace it at a cost out of their pocket, or they're going to get it repaired. But it's some way, somebody's paying that debt. OK? Now, even when there isn't an object that you've broken, there's still a debt to pay. Okay, There's still a debt to pay. When somebody hurts you, says something badly about your reputation, or doesn't follow through, or actually, you know, you've had those things happen, there's something to be paid. The question is, who's going to pay it? Now, you can try to make them pay, and a lot of people do. You might make them pay by gossiping about it, you know? I cannot believe so-and-so said to so-and-so about me. Of course, I'm just doing what I just did, right? Or just said complaining about. But you make somebody else pay then. Or you can make them pay by doing the cold shoulder routine. Have you ever done that to somebody? You know, it's like, they were so mean to me. I'm just going to You're trying to make them pay. Or you can try to make them pay by, um, well, just withdrawing your friendship altogether, dropping them from Facebook, walking away, saying, I'm just not going to deal with them anymore. Or you might even make them pay by having a little schadenfreude. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. It's a German term. Germans come up with the most amazing word sometimes, schadenfreude. You know what it means? Is your joy in their misery. <laughs> so it's like, um, oh, you know? And you're just kind of rooting something goes badly for them because how karma can get back and bite them in the butt for what they did to you. Have you ever just fantas Maybe, I'm con- maybe this has turned into confession now. Um, but where you're <laughs> fantasizing about somebody just, you know, I can't believe they did this. I'm just waiting for it to come back. And you're just rooting, You're ma- trying to make them pay. You're hoping that they will be paid back for that. Now, you can do that. Or forgiveness, you pay it. You pay it. And it hurts. You pay it when you've got that they come up to you and you are just ready to berate them, and instead you say a kind word to them. You're paying it. It suffers. You pay it when um, you could be fantasizing and wrapping yourself up and trying to figure out how maybe the universe will just drop both feet on them one day. And you say, no, I'm not going there. I'm hoping the best for them. You pay it when you stop from saying something to someone else about the situation. And it's a cost, and you suffer. But as you choose to suffer rather than retaliate for it, slowly but surely, your heart softens rather than hardening into bitterness, and you are freed from any prison. And then thirdly, The king let him go. He freed him. Now this is a problem for some people because did he not do something wrong? I mean, come on, $10 um, trillion debt? Oh my goodness. Shouldn't he have to pay in some way, in some form? And the king basically wrote it off at great cost and risk to his own kingdom. Because I cannot imagine any king or emperor, even in that day, writing off a trillion dollars and having it not affect him. But the king forgave him and let him go. Here's something I want you to understand about forgiveness, though, what it is not and what it is. First of all, it is not a sentimental concept. It's not a feeling. It's not a forgetting. It's not an excusing. And it's not a temporary pardon. In fact, it's a choice. And you choose to forgive even before you feel like it. And your feelings will follow the choice in time. What forgiveness really is is really a promise to someone. Forgiveness is a promise that I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring this incident up against you and use it against you in any form in the future. I will not talk to other people about this incident. And I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Now, sometimes a thought might occur to you, and you might be right. It might not be enough to simply forgive someone and walk away and let them go. For the sake of the harm that they might have done to others, that they might do to someone else in the future, they might do to society, maybe you need to also bring about a different type of restoration in their lives. Someone needs to wake them up so this doesn't keep happening. Something needs to be done. Some restitution may need to be occurring. But you still can forgive them up front. Here's the problem. If you try to bring about justice before you have forgiven them, it will not be justice that you are really seeking. It will be vengeance. You won't be seeking justice for their sake. You won't be seeking justice for other people's sake and society's sake. You'll be seeking justice, vengeance, for your own sake. And that is not justice. It's impossible to justly bring about justice without mercy and forgiveness being a part of it. A great example of this happened just a few weeks ago. And people were shocked at this illustration as well as some people were flummoxed, and others were amazed. And that was that forgiveness can still be given and justice served at the same time. It happened when the brother of Botham Jean asked the judge to embrace Amber Geiger after she was convicted of Botham Jean's murder. Now, for the sake of society, it was important that justice would be done. And some people complained that the sentence was too harsh, others that it was too lenient. I am not here to try to explain why the sentence was what it was. I'm no legal expert. But what I loved is that Brant Jean, her brother, his brother, excuse me, that he is absolutely free and was able to forgive at the same time allowing justice for the sake of society to be done. And Amber herself is free from the eternal consequences for that action that night, even though she faces temporal consequences right now. Only when you've truly forgiven someone can you actually be really seeking justice for that person and for society. So now, those are the three points. You know, very easy, right? Identify with someone, cancel the debt, and let them go. Easy peasy, got it, don't you? Now, if you're not at the point saying, how in the world do I do this at this point in time, I'm not sure, uh, you know, this is tough. This is tough. It is sacrificial. And I think what we, this really calls for perspective. And there are three basic perspectives from this parable. I think Jesus is showing us what we need to understand so we are able to do it. The first is, realize the size of the debt we owe our king in comparison with the debt anyone else would owe us. Now, in this parable, this is what the shocker is. The one servant owed a trillion dollars. Now, the other owed about a, th- a $10,000. It's no small sum, but compared to a trillion? This gets back, I think, to the whole log and speck problem that Jesus brought up, you know? You can, I, can all, I can spot a speck in your eye from a mile away, but I can't see the log in my eye, which is right in my eye. Do you know? Have you ever noticed how I minimize my faults and maximize those around? And in this instance, it seems to be happening to this servant. $10,000, $1 a trillion, but he sees this as impossible to forgive or let go of, whereas he's just been forgiven an insurmountable amount that is impossible to pay. You know, so like when somebody else lies, how terrible, how unconscionable. I cannot believe they didn't tell me the truth. But when I lie, it's like, well, you know, it's complicated. I needed to do it at that time. It was trying to be, you know? Isn't it amazing how we can excuse our behavior for the same thing? That's the problem. So to put it in perspective. This is what amazes me about um, St. Paul. He put it in perspective this way. He said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. Do you realize that? He considered himself chief of sinners. He considered himself the worst. And I have to, I think in my circumstances, realize the insurmountable debt I owe to God that there was no way I could repay. Because in my circumstances, with all my privilege and with all my opportunities I've had in life, I've still blown it a million times over. And I'm capable of doing almost anything. There are no good Christians, by the way. There's only sinful Christians. Just like there are no good human beings, they're all sinful. We've all got our issues. So my debt is so great I could never repay to remember that. Secondly. Remember that word, compassion of the king, that word splunknaste, niste. I'm sorry, I keep messing it up. That kind of going out, that inward. So remember the compassion of the king. Now, this is what's amazing. For me to identify with somebody else, you know, I mean, we have a lot in common. Sometimes I don't want to say it, but if somebody has offended me, has done something against me, I still have a lot in common with you. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, I can put you in that circle very easily. You know, I need God's grace and forgiveness. You need God's grace and forgiveness. I can identify with what your motives might be like because I've had those. You know, it's easy for me to do that, but the king and Jesus himself, this is what the shocker of shocks is. Jesus is in a totally different league. Do you understand? How does he identify with someone who is sinful? How does he... Decide to have compassion. And do you realize this word, splagnisthe, occurs time and again as one of the chief characteristics and emotion that Jesus has during his ministry. He sees a leper, and his compassion goes out to them. His heart goes out to him. He sees someone who is sinful, and his heart goes out to her. He sees someone who is, um, you know, uh, lost and confused and his heart goes out to the entire crowd as sheep without a shepherd. He continues to wear his heart on his sleeve in a sense for all of us. He keeps identifying with us when he has nothing in common with my sinful nature. He was perfectly righteous. Absolutely. He had no need to. No reason to, outside of his love for us, to identify with us. A million light years away from the way I operate and think, and yet Jesus chooses to be right by my side and identify with me so much, the Bible will say he became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. He identifies with my sinfulness and takes it as his own. And that brings us to the third point, the ultimate cost the king paid for you. It wasn't just a trillion dollars to wipe out. God paid a cost that is not manufactured. He, nothing in all creation would pay the cost of even one of my sins nothing in all creation, not an amount of money, not an amount of gold, not an amount of cattle on a thousand hills could not be sacrificed to pay for one of my sins. God gives himself for my sin and his son Jesus. He turns himself over to death. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. The cost he paid for you is the cost of his dearly beloved son. I don't know how that doesn't melt our hearts. And that's why I love what Brandt Hansen says in this book. It's just a very short phrase, but I think it's so true. You know, rules don't change anyone's heart ever, ever. You know, yelling and screaming at each other what's right and wrong on the internet is changing nothing. You can try to tell people what you should they should be doing and they should be using their turn signal. It's not going to change anything. <laughs> You know this. And how many times you tell somebody the right thing to do, and they're just about ready to give you a gesture back instead? Rules will not change you, and they don't change me. But grace does. Grace does. God's grace in Christ gives you life. You're absolutely freed and forgiven. And being forgiven, then you can be forgiving and grow into that. So it's absolutely crucial. It's not optional to be unoffendable. Being unoffendable is costly. It's a sacrifice. You give up any, quote, rights you might have. But being unoffendable... Gives you the ability to reflect Jesus in this world. Let's pray. Lord God, um, this is a tough one for all of us. We all have faced those situations in one form or another, and we're all culpable, Lord. (sighs) We owed you a debt we could never repay, and you paid a price we could never ask. You gave what astonishes and astounds us, Lord to change our lives, to give us hope in a future, to forgive us and redeem us when we thank you, Lord. May we individually and this church corporately be known as a place of grace through and through in all our relationships. And may we be a people that are unoffendable because of you. In Jesus' name, amen.